Good morning. In today's headlines, President Biden and his son Hunter are accused of taking bribes in a new document released by the FBI. The House had threatened to hold FBI Director Christopher Wray in contempt unless the Bureau overturned it over. A former Trump White House aide testifies before a January 6th grand jury. Former President Trump says the many lawsuits against him are a form of election interference. We hear some analysis on that assertion. Presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. testifies about government censorship. Thus, as Democrats tried to remove him during the hearing, while Republicans said he has a right to speak. We have coverage of a massive rally in Washington, D.C., and hear from people calling for an end to the Chinese regime's 24-year campaign of persecution. And we visit an Illinois farm that has preserved a tradition of classical horseback riding for decades. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Friday, July 21st. Yes, end of the week. And you know, Evelyn, when we talk about this likely indictment against Trump over this January 6th Capitol breach, some analysts are saying that it's a lot weaker than the other cases against him because it rests on these prosecutorial theories and it's likely to end up in the Supreme Court. That's right, but even though it's flimsy, there are some that say that it could still hurt him in the general election. That is a good point. And our top news today is a newly released FBI document alleging President Biden and his son Hunter Biden were involved in an illegal foreign bribery scheme. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on the contents of the document made public yesterday by Senator Chuck Grassley. The document says an informant, whom the FBI has described as highly credible, provided information to the FBI in 2020. He alleged that then-presidential candidate Joe Biden and his son Hunter were bribed to pressure Ukraine to remove a prosecutor investigating Burisma. That's the Ukrainian company that employed Hunter Biden. The informant says he traveled to Burisma's office in Ukraine in 2015 or 2016 to assist with buying a U.S. company for Burisma to merge with. The informant says the CFO of Burisma told him that the company hired Hunter Biden to protect the company through his dad from all kinds of problems. And a problem soon came up in 2016. Burisma was being investigated by Ukraine Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin. The informant told the Burisma owner the investigation would mess up the plans to merge with a U.S. company. The owner allegedly replied that Hunter Biden will take care of all those issues through his dad. The owner also allegedly said it cost $5 million to pay one Biden and $5 million to pay another Biden. At about the same time, Vice President at the time Joe Biden was pressuring Ukrainian officials to fire Mr. Shokin. He later spoke about it at a public event in 2018. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a <laughs> got fired. Biden also addressed Ukrainian corruption in general at the event. But the corruption is so endemic and so deep and so consequential, it's really, <clears throat> really, really, really hard to get it out of the system. Prosecutor Shokin has said that the threat by Biden was cited when he was ousted. The FBI initially refused to hand over the document with the claims of the informant, but finally did so after the House moved to hold FBI Director Christopher Wray in contempt. 
House Democrats previously released a transcript of separate private comments allegedly made by the Burisma owner. The transcript alleges that he stated that no one from Burisma had any contacts with VP Biden or people working for him while Hunter Biden was on the board. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. An aide to former President Trump testified before a federal grand jury yesterday. That's in an investigation into the January 6th breach at the Capitol. Trump says he received a letter stating he was a target of the investigation and was given a deadline of midnight last night to decide if he would testify. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more. William Russell, a former Trump White House aide, testified before a grand jury on Thursday. The jury convened by special counsel Jack Smith is weighing if Trump should be criminally charged for his role in the breach. Russell was with Trump for a large part of the day on January 6th. He now works for Trump's presidential campaign. Trump is not expected to testify before the grand jury. The grand jury hearing evidence in Smith's investigation met for more than six hours on Thursday. Trump says the many lawsuits piling up against him are a form of election interference. Lee Smith, host of Over the Target on Epic TV, told NTD he thinks it goes deeper than that. It's not just interfering with the election. It's it's meant to have much uh, much larger, much more dangerous and and per, uh, not maybe, per, perhaps not permanent consequences, but very serious consequences that we uh, and our uh, and our families will be living with for many years to come. The author of the plot against the president says there is something else going on that makes it different from the election interference seen in 2016 and 2020. Remember what the January 6th cases uh, and what the January 6th premise is all about. It's about insurrection and seditious conspiracy. It's all garbage, right? But what it's doing is it's saying the half of the country that supports Donald Trump is treasonous, right? Because that's who's behind insurrections traitors, right? So this is the much bigger issue, much more dangerous issue that's coming out here. It's a, uh, uh, the, it's a project to divide the country. It's a project to set the country, um, uh, to set the country on course for actual conflict. Russell's grand jury appearance suggests investigators are continuing to probe election interference and gather evidence. It's unclear if prosecutors will wait until all their interviews are done before indicting Trump or how a possible case would be structured. Smith could bring a more discreet case first and then add superseding indictments or break up multiple defendants into separate cases. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. testified before Congress yesterday. He alleges his vaccine safety remarks were censored by the government. NTD's Iris Tao has more on the polarized reactions from Capitol Hill. The topic of government censorship was at the center of a congressional hearing as Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. testified amid backlash from Democratic lawmakers. It's a rallying cry for bigotry and hate. So now I'm subject to this new form of censorship, which is called targeted propaganda, anti-Semitism, racism. These are, are the most appalling, disgusting pejoratives, and they're applied to me to silence me. And Kennedy was invited by Republicans to testify in front of the House subcommittee on the weaponization of the government. Though right after Kennedy's opening remarks, House Democrats moved, though unsuccessfully, to remove him. No to allowing a witness to degrade and, this is not others time. and violate the rules. Republicans called it ironic. Censor him literally in a hearing about censorship. The cognitive dissonance of that is deafening. It's insane. 
And the Republican chair of the committee says Kennedy's testimony. Help us expose and stop what's going on. This alliance, big government pressuring private entities to censor Americans. And that's as the former New York Post editor who broke the Hunter Biden laptop story also testified alleging censorship. It was because it was true and it was a threat to the power centers in this country. But not everyone found the hearing worthwhile. I asked Democratic Congressman Jerry Connolly, do you think today's hearing should be held at all? No, if you videotape this hearing, it could be a Saturday Night Live skit, except it's not funny. Reporting from the Capitol, Aris Tao, NTD News. Looking overseas, fears are growing for the fate of U.S. soldier Travis King, who crossed into North Korea this week. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the case, which officials say has thus far been met with silence from Pyongyang. Pentagon spokesperson Sabrina Singh discussed Private Travis King's predicament. We don't know his condition. We don't know um, where he's being held. We don't know um, the status of his health. The 23-year-old had been facing disciplinary action from the Army before he fled. What I can tell you is that the soldier's current duty status is absent without leave. King had been fined for assault while stationed in South Korea and had been jailed for nearly 50 days before being escorted to Incheon International Airport by the U.S. military. He was to take a commercial flight to Dallas, Texas. Once passed security checks, King reportedly said he lost his passport and went back to the terminal. He later dashed across the military demarcation line during a civilian tour. The line has separated the two Koreas since the Korean War ended with an armistice in 1953. U.S. Army Secretary Christine Warmoth fears for King's safety. It makes me very, very concerned that Private King is in the hands of the North Korean authorities. You know, I, I worry about how they may treat him. Warmoth cited the case of another American detainee, Otto Warmbier. The college student was imprisoned in North Korea for 17 months. When he was released in 2017, he was in a coma and died shortly after he returned to the U.S. Warmoth said officials are using U.N. channels to contact North Korean authorities, but doesn't believe successful contact has yet been made. North Korea and the United States have no formal diplomatic ties. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And coming up, Beijing-linked hackers breached the email account of the U.S. ambassador to China. Hundreds of thousands of government emails may have been compromised. Stay tuned for that story. Welcome back. China-based hackers breached the email account of the U.S. ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns. The Wall Street Journal first reported the breach, citing three anonymous U.S. officials. The sources say it's part of a targeted intelligence gathering campaign by Beijing. The sources also say hackers accessed the email account of Daniel Crittenbrink. He is the Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia and recently traveled to China with Secretary of State Antony Blinken. It's believed that hundreds of thousands of government emails were compromised in the breach. Many U.S. officials have labeled the Chinese Communist Party as the most advanced U.S. adversary in cyberspace. The FBI says China has a larger hacking program than all other countries combined. A heated discussion on Capitol Hill, several Biden administration officials faced questions from lawmakers over their strategy on communist China. And today's Sam Wong brings us the latest. 
The House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party held a hearing Thursday addressing the Biden administration's current approach in dealing with the CCP. Committee Chairman Mike Gallagher, a Republican, started off by praising several of the administration's policy measures in dealing with China. Secretary of State Blinken reiterated the determination that the CCP was committing genocide in Xinjiang. The administration levied historic export controls on advanced U.S. semiconductors and equipment going to the PRC. The administration then succeeded in aligning its policy with critical allies. The hearing comes on the heels of a visit to China by several top U.S. officials, aiming to put a stalled relationship back into motion. In a change of tone, Gallagher said that such a diplomatic approach has put Washington in a compromising position. And instead of holding the Chinese Communist Party accountable, the administration chased CCP diplomats around the world, seeking meetings in Beijing as if they, not the CCP, had something to apologize for. Representative Blaine Luchtemeyer said that China is running on a surplus in its trade with the U.S., and that extra pile of cash in China's pocket could be used to subsidize the regime's military capacity and its human rights abuses. Here's this exchange with Thea Rosman-Kentler, Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Export Administration. We're, we're funding by $382 billion of a deficit their activities. Would you not agree with that? We, we are aggressively attending with the, contending with the strategic trade th threat posed no, by China. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm, I'm tired of your flowery language this morning. Please answer the question. Washington recently stepped up restrictions on imports from China's Xinjiang region, using a law targeting forced labor in China. Two more companies have been added to the U.S. blacklist as a result. Despite all the heated moments, Chairman Gallagher said that both Republicans and Democrats are fighting for the same cause. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Sam Wong, NTD News. Staying on the topic of China, yesterday the world observed the 24th anniversary of the ongoing persecution of Falun Gong, also known as Falun Dafa, at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. People from different corners of the globe, including a large gathering in Washington, D.C., came together to demand an end to this persecution. Falun Gong is a spiritual practice based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. However, living by these principles is deemed a crime under the Chinese regime's rule. And today's Melina Weisskopf has a story. We're here in the heart of the nation where thousands of Falun Dafa practitioners have gathered to raise awareness and call for the end to the 24-year-long persecution against this spiritual practice. We spoke to some of them who are here who actually lived through this persecution in China. And she was arrested immediately and sent to the um, uh, detention center. By that time, I lost contact with my mom for two weeks. Her mom's sudden disappearance is only part of the story. Li Jing began the practice as a young girl at age 13, making social life difficult due to the CCP's propaganda campaign to squash the practice. So I felt um, isolated. Even though I know um, Falun Gong is righteous, I had to hide it from my new friends. And her story is one of millions. Even today, the pressure hasn't stopped for these spiritual believers. Some can't help but question why. Electrical batons to beat me. I lost my uh, consciousness. Well, we just uh, practice meditation. We try to do, uh, to do our best to be a good person. I believe that's the best. Uh, is the universal values. Raising awareness in the streets of Washington, D.C., they hold signs reading, In the CCP, humanity's only hope is to improve morality. And Falun Dafa is great. It is up to us 
to stand up for those being persecuted in China and to make our voices heard. We also know there is growing evidence that the CCP is even harvesting organs from religious and ethnic minorities around the world. The House passed a bill recently to hold the CCP accountable for forced organ harvesting, of which Falun Gong practitioners are often the victims. Organ harvesting bill, which has the most realistic chance of being passed and sent to the president's desk for signature. Many speakers encouraged the spiritual practitioners to continue to stand up against this atrocity and thanked them for their courage in not letting the CCP wipe out the practice of Falun Dafa, which has since spread to over 100 countries around the world. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. After the rally and parade, a candlelight vigil was held across from the Capitol. Around 1,500 Falun Gong practitioners held candles to commemorate those who died as a result of the Chinese regime's persecution. And today's Iris Tao was there to find out more. On Thursday night, hundreds of candle flames dotted the National Mall in front of the Capitol. Thousands of Falun Gong practitioners participated in the candlelight vigil in memory of those killed by the Chinese Communist Party for their faith. It's important to remember the many who have died and lost their lives because of this persecution, which is um, unreasonable and unbelievable, really, uh, and to call for the end, to raise awareness, you know, here in the Capitol, uh, for Congress, for everyone to know this continues, you know, in a country, and it's, it's really unbelievable. When the persecution started in 1999, on the night of July 20th, they arrested me and my two sisters and tied us in the concentration camp. My sister kept her faith in truthfulness, compassion and forbearance, so she kept being tortured, and now she can't even move. Now I'm in a free land, and I'm touched and hope that the Chinese people can know the truth about the persecution. My father's organs were harvested. It was a real case of organ harvesting. When we went to visit him at the funeral home, his body was still warm. And at that moment, 20 to 30 secret police forced us out of the funeral home. I hope the American government can help stop this persecution and dissolve the CCP. Falun Gong practitioners are dedicated and they have conviction to uphold their beliefs. And that's a problem in a communist society where you want people to follow the, follow the party's word. So, um, you know, from what I understand, many people in mainstream Chinese society have started practicing Falun Gong. People within the government, people within the military. And it was so popular in China that the, gov the party became very afraid of Falun Gong. And people are dedicated, right? People were getting up in the morning and practicing every day. So it was, a, it was a commitment to something spiritual and something deep, and that's threatening for, for an illegitimate party. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Howe, NTD News. Yeah, we were following it live yesterday, and we, we learned that they, not only is, is the CCP persecuting Falun Gong practitioners in China, but they were almost allowed or free to persecute them here on American soil as well. It's terrible. Yeah, and it's definitely a really good thing for everyone to watch your live coverage. You must see. And we also have a special report on the event that you can find on our website and YouTube channel. You can also find it on epictv.com.
And still to come, Russia striking grain terminals in Ukraine. This as the Russian Navy rehearses rocket strikes on vessels in the Black Sea. And the CIA director warns of some deceptive tactics by the Russian military. And a man destroys the Quran at a protest in Sweden. And in response, Iraqis stormed the Swedish embassy in Baghdad. Good to have you back with us. We're continuing with a shocking international incident. A Swedish protest involving the Quran has sparked backlash in Iraq. Angry protesters retaliated by storming the Swedish embassy in Baghdad. And today's Jason Perry has the update. An Iraqi immigrant to Sweden got permission from police to burn the Quran in front of the Iraqi embassy. Swedish police stood nearby and provided security for the demonstration. In regards of opinion of the applicant, we do not take any stand at all whatsoever. We just ensure that the public gathering can take place in a safe and proper way. The man, who appeared to have a Quran and an Iraqi flag, reportedly kicked and damaged the Quran but didn't burn it. And this isn't the first time the man did such a thing. He previously burned a Quran in front of a mosque in Stockholm last month, which sparked protest in Iraq and condemnation from the U.S. and several Muslim countries. But the reaction this time was much different. While the demonstration was going on in Sweden, hundreds of Iraqis stormed the Swedish embassy in Baghdad. Swedish security used water cannons to try to disperse the protesters and the demonstrators threw rocks at the Swedish security. The protesters eventually climbed over the walls and set the Swedish embassy on fire. One man was seen holding the sign of the Swedish ambassador's residence, while others gathered singing songs. The Swedish embassy said none of their staff was injured during the conflict. Sweden also condemned Iraq for not protecting their embassy. On the other hand, the Iraqi government condemned the attack on the Swedish embassy in Baghdad. The protesters in Baghdad were followers of Iraqi Shiite religious leader Muqtada al-Sadr, who shared his thoughts on the situation. I call on the countries of the world to enact a law that criminalizes the burning of the Quran and make it a terrorist crime, just as anti-Semitism and offenses against the LGBT community are considered crimes. And State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller said this. We condemn uh, such acts uh, as the burning of a Quran. We think they are abhorrent. But at the same time, we recognize the right for people to freely uh, exercise their, their uh, right to expression. Meanwhile, Muslims residing in Sweden had different reactions to the event. And I don't know why the law is like that. Like, how can they let him do this? Muslim and true Muslim, we don't care so much about that because uh, it is not my duty to judge uh, a human being. Uh, it is God who will judge him. The Swedish government said it's considering legal changes that would allow police to stop public burnings of the Quran if they endanger Sweden's security. Jason Perry, NTD News. The destruction of the Quran has caused outrage in the Muslim world. Swedish security services say the acts left the country less safe. Sweden's prime minister has criticized the burnings and said that while legal, they are inappropriate. As the demonstration took place yesterday, Iraq's prime minister ordered the expulsion of the Swedish ambassador from Iraq. He also pulled Iraq's interim ambassador from Sweden. And Iraq's government announced it suspended the license of Swedish communications company Ericsson to operate in Iraq. 
The head of Lebanon's terrorist group Hezbollah called on Arab and Islamic nations to follow Iraq in expelling Sweden's ambassadors and withdrawing their envoys from Sweden. Russia has attacked grain terminals in the Odessa area. This comes as the Russian Navy carries out rehearsals of rocket strikes on ships in the Black Sea. It's the fourth straight night of airstrikes in South Ukraine. That's according to the regional governor. The fourth night appeared to be less intense as earlier. Russia hit Ukrainian cities and ports with missiles and drones. That was after Russia quit the Black Sea grain deal, which granted safe passage to ships carrying Ukrainian grain. Meanwhile, Russia is practicing shooting rockets at ships in the Black Sea. Two days prior, the country warned that ships heading to Black Sea ports in Ukraine would be considered military targets. The Russian Defense Ministry said in its live fire drill, an anti-ship cruise missile succeeded in destroying a target vessel. It's not clear if it was a real ship or a mock-up. CIA Director Bill Burns issued a warning about Russian actions. We see some very concerning signs of the Russians considering the kind of false flag operations that, you know, we highlighted in the run-up to the war as well. In other words, looking at ways in which, you know, they might uh, make attacks against shipping in the Black Sea and then blaming it or trying to blame it on the Ukrainians. And, you know, pulling out of this grain deal that Russia did, that just creates worries about the global food supply. That's right. Kenya uh, called the withdrawal a stab in the back for African nations that are hit by the drought. Yeah, and beyond that, even UN Secretary General said that anyone is at risk now who's in need because this deal is no longer there. Mm, That's right. And more international news. We're going to some short headlines from around the world. White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby said yesterday Ukraine is deploying U.S.-supplied cluster munitions. Kirby said they are being used quite effectively. Ukraine has pledged to use the cluster bombs only to dislodge concentrations of Russian enemy soldiers. They are banned in more than 100 countries. In western India, rescue efforts for possible survivors of a massive landslide are hindered by thick fog and heavy rain. Land gave way late Wednesday night in a remote mountain hamlet, killing at least 16 people, flattening several houses and trapping more than 100. China's foreign ministry says it is still it still has no information on the missing foreign minister Ching Gang. His last recorded public appearance was over three weeks ago. That was at a meeting with visiting Russian officials. Chin has played a prominent role in steering U.S.-China ties. He met Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Beijing in June. German police continue the search for a presumed lioness on the loose this morning in Berlin's southern suburbs. A vet, hunt, a vet hunter's infrared cameras, drones and helicopters are being used to track down the potentially dangerous feline. Residents in some areas were warned to stay indoors. More coverage coming up. New York City has agreed to a $13 million settlement over the George Floyd protests in the summer of 2020. And a ticketing company removes a women's rights event saying it violates their hateful content policy. NTD spoke with Michelle Evans from the Independent Women's Network and constitutional law attorney Aaron Maracino. Welcome back. A $13 million settlement over the George Floyd protests in the summer of 2020. New York City has agreed to pay protesters of the Black Lives Matter or BLM movement. Here's the story. 
On Thursday, a group of law firms representing BLM protesters in a federal lawsuit announced a pending settlement agreement with New York City. According to the settlement proposal, the city will pay $13 million to roughly 1,400 protesters. They were arrested by the NYPD between May 28th and June 4th, 2020. Each protester will receive nearly $10,000. U.S. District Judge Colleen McMahon must approve the settlement before it takes effect. Protesters filed the class action lawsuit over how they were treated during 18 Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. They accuse police of using unlawful tactics to make arrests at demonstrations in Manhattan and Brooklyn. The plaintiffs say the tactics included beating protesters with batons, restraining them with flex cuffs, forcing them into small spaces where they couldn't escape, and arresting them without lawful justification. The demonstrations were among many erupting nationwide in May of 2020, following the death of George Floyd in police custody. Attorneys for the plaintiffs cited past police responses to large demonstrations as evidence of long-standing systemic violations by the NYPD. Meanwhile, attorneys for the city said there was no systematic effort to deprive people of their right to protest. In March, New York City agreed to settle a similar lawsuit involving around 300 BLM protesters. The settlement involves paying up to $21,500 per plaintiff. A women's rights event is labeled hate speech and taken down off a ticketing website. And today's Daniel Monahan spoke with Independent Women's Network chapter leader Michelle Evans and constitutional law attorney Aaron Mercino on the company Eventbrite's controversial move. The event Let Women Speak ATX will be held in Austin on August 12th. It is billed as giving women the opportunity to share their opinions and lived experiences and to advocate for women's rights and sex-based protections. Organizer Michelle Evans says she was shocked to get an email from Eventbrite saying, We have determined that your event is not permitted on the Eventbrite platform as it violates our community guidelines and terms of service, specifically our policy on hateful, dangerous, or violent content and events. All I can assume is that Eventbrite thinks that women talking about the protection of their rights from men and the protection of what it means to be female from erasure is somehow dangerous to the public. According to Evans, the rights of women are under attack. People have been shouting into the ether about the patriarchy while allowing men to appropriate womanhood, motherhood, to get into our sports, to compete for our scholarships, um, our positions, um, even pageantry. She says women who speak up for their rights are being targeted and criticizes what she sees as the lack of police response. The mom of three discusses a feminist for free speech rally held in Austin last year. We did this at um, the downtown Austin library, which is two sides, the room is two sides glass. So we had counter protesters who banged on the window and this was mostly men at a feminist for free speech event banging on the window and screaming for three hours straight to try to drown out women's voices. Even though these, these counter-protesters were um, trying to destroy a public building, like a, a government building, the police did not show up at that Feminist for Free Speech event until the conclusion of the event, and at that time they didn't even get out of their cars. Evans says women across the globe have been pepper-sprayed and physically assaulted. Constitutional law attorney Erin Mercino reacted to the hate speech allegations. 
when you see hate speech um, being so misidentified, it's it's frightening. I think that it's going to get worse before it gets better, unfortunately, um, because there's there needs to be you know people standing up and saying no, this is not hate speech. Mercino believes the move by Eventbrite violates Texas law, which forces social media platforms to include different political viewpoints. But as Thomas Jefferson said, our, we have to be vigilant about protecting our rights, and so continue to speak up. The constitutional attorney says people need to stand up or face an unknown future. Um, it's, it's really, it blows your mind that we're in this position today in our country, but unless we continue to speak up, then our rights will be gone. NTD contacted Eventbrite but did not hear back by broadcast time. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Former President Donald Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis are voicing their support for country music singer Jason Aldean. This is after the singer was accused of releasing a pro-lynching music video. Trump wrote on True Social earlier this week, quote, Jason Aldean is a fantastic guy who just came out with a great new song. Support Jason all the way. Make America great again. And DeSantis wrote on Twitter, when the media attacks you, you're doing something right. Jason Aldean has nothing to apologize for. Aldean released a new song in May called Try That in a Small Town at the Maury County Courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee appeared in the music video. Accusations focused on the fact that the site was their 18-year-old Henry Choate was lynched in 1927 and claimed the music video is therefore pro-lynching. Country Music Television pulled the music video last week after criticism, but the song shot to the top iTunes spot shortly afterwards. Just ahead, a bitter setback for wind power, turbine failures and plunging stocks cast a shadow over this power source. We hear from an expert on why the equipment may be failing. And a Florida family receives hundreds of thousands of dollars as a settlement after their daughter was left burned by a hot chicken nugget. That story and more after the break. Welcome back. We zoom in on the wind power industry in light of turbine failures at Siemens Energy in June. The company launched about a $1 billion technical review of its onshore wind farm and suffered a 37% drop in shares in what the parent company CEO called a bitter setback. I spoke to an expert about why this is happening. Joining me now is Lisa Linos, the executive director of Wind Action. Thank you so much for your time today, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. These mechanical problems that we're seeing here with these turbines could affect from 15 to 30 percent of the company's wind farms and take years to repair. So where does the power come from if a wind farm can't produce? Well, that's a good question. I mean, for, for so many years, we really haven't relied a lot on wind energy. It's considered an, essentially an ancillary source. Well, most of our energy has come from nuclear, natural gas, coal. Um, but if we are starting to rely more and more on wind, as we're seeing in states like Texas and Iowa, we can't afford to have these turbines failing. But that's we're headed into a situation where if we're relying on wind and the reliability of these systems is not there, then we're going to have a problem. 
So conventional fuels like coal, the industry has about 100 years on the wind power industry, which is relatively young, starting in the 1980s. So is that a product of why we're seeing these problems in these components right now? Yeah, I, actually, the, the biggest issue with the wind turbines is it's a subsidy-driven industry, which means that the federal government has paid a significant amount of money for turbines to be built and want to encourage as much in the way of renewables. The result is that we're getting a ballooning effect, a bubble of much more renewable energy than we're able to actually absorb. And they're racing these turbines out into the, into the world in order to meet the deadlines to secure the subsidies. For many years, those subsidies, you had to get turbines operational by a certain date in order to secure the subsidy. So that's what's happening. We maximize the subsidies by increasing the size of the turbines and we race them out in order to meet the deadlines to get the subsidies. Consequently, we're not seeing the kind of engineering and testing that needs to happen in order to have a safe performance and reliable performance. So it seems like it's a quality over quantity issue here that we're experiencing. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's all because the focus is from the developer's perspective to make money. The more turbines you get in the ground, the bigger those turbines are, the more money you're able to secure in the form of federal subsidies. That's the game that's being played. Consequently, we're cutting corners in order to meet those deadlines. And that's why we're seeing what I believe to be a systemic failure and what will continue to be a problem with the existing turbines that are out there. Well, Lisa Linos, thank you so much for shedding your light on this. Executive Director of Wind Action, I appreciate it. Thank you. A Florida family has been awarded $800,000 in damages. They say their daughter suffered severe burns, which left her disfigured while the four-year-old was eating hot McDonald's chicken nuggets. The incident happened four years ago in 2019, but didn't end up in court until May this year. The jury's decision came two months after the franchise owner and McDonald's were found liable, but not negligent, for the girl's injuries. According to the lawsuit, the child was left scarred after a nugget got wedged between her thigh and the seatbelt. It further alleged the nuggets were dangerously hot and unfit for human handling, leaving the girl severely distressed and in future need of medical care. Despite the franchise arguing it was not at fault, the jury said warning labels should have been on the packaging, which could have prevented the girl's injuries. The family initially demanded $15 million in damages, but their attorneys deemed the compensation fair and just. Could lab-grown meat be worse for the environment than real meat? Well, studies from Oxford and UC Davis suggest that it could be. And today's Faye Quarter explains how. One of the key goals of lab-grown meat is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the atmosphere. But studies have shown that producing it could be even worse for the environment than real meat by emitting even more greenhouse gas. A recent study from UC Davis found that lab-grown meat could be orders of magnitude worse than real meat. This is because, using current methods, it takes an immense amount of energy to grow this meat in the lab. Electrical energy from burning fossil fuels puts carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. In particular, growing meat requires highly purified growth media. 
Animal cells are placed into this media inside bioreactors. The growth media contains nutrients, which help the animal cells grow and multiply. The researchers found that purifying this growth media causes 4 to 25 times more emissions than producing real meat. An earlier study from Oxford had the same conclusion. Its researchers found that maintaining the environment that the meat grows in involves a massive amount of energy. Traditional meat-making methods emit greenhouse gases when animals emit methane through their digestive process. While methane is a greenhouse gas, it stays in the atmosphere for about a decade. Meanwhile, the carbon dioxide that laboratories use to grow meat remains for centuries to millennia. Faye Quarter, NTD News. Well, I think the debate is still out as to whether or not real meat is actually bad for the environment in the first place. True, you've got a point. Moving on, the summer travel season is underway and Americans across the country are looking to take a well-deserved vacation. But airline disruptions combined with inflation have left some consumers concerned if they can afford taking a trip. Entity's Andrew Thomas reports. It's been a rough year for air travel. According to a recent bank rate survey, nearly 80% of respondents said they had experienced at least one travel-related problem over the past six months. Nearly a quarter of travelers cited poor customer service and flight disruptions. The airline industry has struggled to keep up, though, because they're dealing with shortages of pilots and flight attendants. There's an air traffic controller shortage. Airplanes have been caught up in that whole supply chain mess. While more than half of respondents cited higher prices as their primary concern, demand for air travel remains strong, despite inflation. Really what we're seeing across the board is robust demand for travel, dining, concerts, sporting events. It's really experiences that are leading the way right now, even as people cut back on some physical goods spending. Bankrate reports that almost two-thirds of Americans have taken or plan to take a trip this year, and they're looking to save on expenses. Credit card points, hotel points, frequent flyer miles, and travel websites are all great resources. Flexibility is also a valuable tactic. A lot of times people get their heart set on a specific place at a specific time. And that just boxes you in. It makes it harder to save. If you're flexible with your destination or your dates, what you can really do is let the deal dictate when and where you go. Earlier this year, Bankrate found that more than half of Americans can't afford a $1,000 emergency expense. So it's important to stick to a budget especially with credit card interest rates at record highs. We don't want to add to it. So are there lower cost things you could do, even aside from using rewards, points, and miles? You know, could you do a road trip? Could you even do a staycation? According to Bankrate survey, 44% of travelers will spend $1,000 or more on a trip. 16% say they'll drop at least $5,000. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Stay with us because we're going to visit an Illinois farm that has for decades preserved a tradition of classical horseback riding. That story coming up after the break. Good to have you back. An Illinois farm is proudly celebrating 65 years of preserving a beautiful tradition. What was once only enjoyed by nobilities in the 16th century has now become accessible to people from all walks of life. Entity's Angela Moy has the story. Temple Farms, located north of Chicago, has trained Lipassan stallions to perform classical dressage with music for decades. 
Esther Bernano, program director and granddaughter of Temple Farms founders, says training stallions is no small feat. It is an art of communication between the riders and the horses. You're using your hands, your seat, and your legs, and those are the three aids of the rider that, that communicates with the horse when they're under saddle. The key to communicating with horses without speaking is to feel their responses. You're going to squeeze with your legs or move the leg back or forward, but the same thing is true. While you're giving an aid, the horse is responding, so you're going to feel how they move in response to what you do. Training of horses is tailored because some horses can only do certain moves. And for some horse, it might be the pirouette because gathering their strength on their hind end is just very difficult or they have a hard time with the rhythm. Synchronizing multiple horses is even more challenging. Four horses and four riders and eight brains, um, you know, it is, it's something that's a real challenge and we practice it all year long and uh, to seek precision is always our goal. When a job is well done, trainers give the horses their favorites as positive reinforcement. Some of them like to eat grass, some of them like to eat peppermint. This one, he likes to be scratched. After the horses are trained, the final product is a majestic display of art and beauty. This is an exhilarating feeling for, for a rider because because they have effectively communicated with an animal that doesn't speak, and they've done so exclusively with their body. The Winkler mother-daughter duel enjoyed the performance. The, the skill of the riders and the horses themselves, and just the beautiful pictures that they can create and the teamwork that they display. Mom Gillance appreciates the efforts of the Temple Farms. It was spectacular. Absolutely, thoroughly enjoyed every part of it. I think that's so special. I'm so thrilled that we do carry forward traditions of traditional schooling and traditional practices. And I think history is important. We can't let it go. Dancing through the decades will continue through September 3rd. Angela Moy, NTD News, Old Mill Creek, Illinois. Those really are some talented horses, and it looks like everyone's a winner in this form of art. Oh yeah, so majestic, such majestic beings, really, and communication without any words. Yeah, majestic is right, and I've learned that they have so much individuality through this story. Oh right, yeah. Well, what a great end to this show. We're wrapping up here. That's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you, as usual. If you have anything to share, write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.